0: The reading, a second reading of God's words taken from Psalms 11, uh, it is on uh, page 572 on your Pure Bible. For the director of music of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee you like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend they bows; They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows. At the upright in heart, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is, in his, is on his heavenly throne. He observes the signs of men; His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. The scorching wind will be their Lord, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, upright men will see his face.
1: Thank you, uh, Yanni. Well, friends, let's, uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is dynamic, it is active. We thank you that in your grace you have revealed to us your word. And this morning we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and do the work that only he can do in our lives. Lord, we humbly come before you this morning. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to have receptive hearts, attentive ears, and live our lives in response to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well friends, let me begin with this question. Are the foundations crumbling? That's the, uh, the title of the message for this morning as we have worked our way through some of the psalms in our morning services. I trust that as we have looked at some of these psalms that they have been encouraging to you as it has been for myself as well in preparing these talks. The psalmist brings out things that we can identify with in our own lives. Moments of joy and exuberance, moments of despair and despondency, discouragement, and as well as the challenges in day-to-day living. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 11. We're going to focus our thoughts on verse 3 of this psalm, which is our text. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? So are the foundations crumbling? That's the question for us this morning. How do you and I view our society today? How do we socially interact and live our lives in this massive, big world? With its population expanding every day. And here God has placed you and myself in this huge world to live to socially interact, to live out our faith, if you are a Christian here this morning, and to live a godly life for Jesus. What a challenge there is. Where do you and I find our place in this big universe? A scary thing, isn't it? Really it is. So this morning... As we look at this text, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to ask ourselves the question, what are these foundations? We are going to look at that this morning. Let me give you a brief background of this psalm. Well, uh, the author is King David. It does not give us a date. There is no place or time given as to where and when this psalm was written. David no doubt penned this psalm to be sung. Because it is directed to the director of music. Perhaps David was facing a national crisis of some sort. For clearly he says in verse 2, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 2. For look the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings. To shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Perhaps David was running away from Saul. Or perhaps he was running away from his son Absalom. And his friends said to him, flee away, run away, fly away like a bird. Go and find a hiding place. Because the foundations are crumbling, hide away. Well, this psalm, while it is an individual lament, it also certainly declares confidence in the lord in spite of the fact that the foundations are shaking the psalmist focuses and emphasizes the confidence that he has in god as we will see in a moment and so this morning as we focus our thoughts on this text psalm 11 verse 3 we'll look at three areas here or three points firstly the problem secondly the question and thirdly, the response. What was the problem here? Well, David says when the foundations are being destroyed. This word foundation means, as we know, something that is stable and secure, something that has stability along the way. For example, if a building is being built, you'd want to ensure that it has a solid foundation. Otherwise, I'd be in big trouble. Okay? Uh, We need good foundations for buildings. What about in our own lives? We need to establish ourselves in some kind of a foundation, some kind of framework from which we can operate and live our lives here on earth. So, the question for us this morning is, is the reference to the word foundations here, foundations, is it the reference to the foundations of the world, that is, the creation? Is David saying... That the creation is shaking, is David saying that the foundations of the creation are crumbling, or does it have another meaning? Well, I don't think that David is using this word "foundations" as a as a reference to the foundations of the world, that is, to creation. God has established the world; He has created by His mighty hands; He has established the processes of this world. And he maintains the universe. He's the creator. In the beginning... Come on. God created. I'm glad you responded. That's good. (laughs) God created the heavens and the earth. He was and he is the creator. He holds the foundations of the world together. He has established the creation order. He has established the laws of physics the laws of gravity, the laws of chemistry, and other laws that govern the universe. Well, what does David mean when he uses this word foundation or foundations? Well, in this context, it is used as a metaphor. It is used as a metaphor for the order of society. For example, it refers to civil order. It refers to civil laws refers to moral laws, ethical laws, laws of truth and justice. For example, these are some of the things that, comprise, that, that that comprises the foundations on which a society is built upon. They are laws that are good for the society and reflect on God's laws for upholding the proper order in society. These are the foundations for a healthy Righteous society. Such foundations are important for the proper functioning of a healthy society. And when the foundations, that is when these laws or principles are in the process of being destroyed, shaken or eroded, then society starts to crumble. And this is not a surprise for us, is it, today? We live in a world that is increasingly becoming secular. By this I mean a world that does not want to have anything to do with Christianity, anything, anything to do with God or his laws, we want to be a law unto ourselves. Look, for example, at the Western world, a civilization that was shaped on the foundations of Christian values and principles. Today, uh, sadly, most, most uh, countries in the Western world have turned away from such Christian values and principles. We live in a very secular society that is hostile to Christianity and we face real challenges and real choices and issues that confronts all of us in this world. I think of our young people who are Christians, young Christian men and women, out there in this world today, you are facing so many issues that perhaps people 50 years ago in Australia never faced or perhaps in the world for that matter of fact, massive issues. For example, the very issue of marriage, the very definition of marriage, is being challenged, right? We know that. <laughs> the very definition of marriage is being challenged as well. What is marriage? Euthanasia or mercy killing, something that would have never happened many years ago. Sadly, euthanasia is permitted in some countries. Today, as of 2014, euthanasia is only legal in the Netherlands. Actually, I will be in the Netherlands in a few weeks' time. (laughs) A country that was so steeped in reformed theology and the scriptures, gone away. Belgium, Luxembourg, assisted suicide is is legal in Switzerland, Germany, Albania, Colombia, Japan, and in the US, states of Washington, Oregon, Vermont, New Mexico, and Montana. The US, the founding... um, Constitutional people at the time who established the Constitution of the U.S., the founding fathers of that nation, would never have imagined that, that would have happened. Where even today, in some parts of the U.S., God's commandments are not to be displayed publicly—the Ten Commandments. The challenge, isn't it? What about genetic engineering in the world? I read an article in the Scientific American. Title: this, Can Babies Be Made to Order? A fertility clinic says it will give couples the option of fiddling with the blueprints of their broods. A U.S. fertility clinic has announced that within a certain period of time it will begin offering couples the option to have tailor-made babies. Genetic engineering. It's an article from the Scientific American. You see, we know the debate here in, 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 right here in Victoria, raging about Christian education in schools, CRE, and the challenge of that. You know, at the General Assembly that was in October, we were informed that the, uh, the leader of uh, Christian education here in Victoria, I forget her name, uh, she, she actually resigned because of health reasons, of the pressure that was put upon her, By the media and other sources, it affected her health. And she had to leave. You see, that's the intensity of the pressure placed upon Christians and the Christian church. Well, friends, are the foundations crumbling? What do you think as you look around the world and our own country today? The effects of these things are shaping the new generation, the next generation... Here in our nation and across the world. And you might be asking today, whatever is happening to the voice of Christianity in the world? What is happening to the, to the, to the gospel witness in this world? We know, friends, that the influence of Christianity in the world cannot and should not be underestimated in the past, for example, with Western civilization, where the culture and policy decisions were made based on Christian principles. For example, the dignity to human life, freedom of expression, justice, abolition of slavery, compassion, Mercy Ministries, I was reading an article about Christian civilization in the Western world this past week in preparation for this. The whole institution of hospitals was instigated by Christians in uh, in the Western world to, to take care of those who are sick and needy. All coming through with the Gospels. Because it was built on those foundations. Now David says... The foundations are shaking. Look at what he says in this passage, isn't it? In verse, verse 3, which is our text. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the wicked bend their bows and set their arrows, verse 2, against the strings and shoot from the shadows at the upright in art. The wicked, the, the godless, they are ready to shoot, he says. That is, they are ready to bring down the righteous. They got their arrows already stretched to, to shoot. They are ready to have a go at anything that is remotely godly. Ready to ridicule, to persecute, even to kill. And then the question, what shall the righteous do? What are we to do? Well, should you flee? What can God's people do when we see the Christian gospel being challenged and people turning away from gospel issues and ridiculing the Christian faith? What can God's people do when they see the foundations crumbling? Are we to fly away? Are we to retreat and hide? Fly away like a bird and do nothing? That is what David's friend said to him. Flee like a bird to a mountain. Wouldn't that be nice? To have an escape somewhere. Some of you go on holiday, well... You might have a holiday house somewhere, and you say, I'm just going to escape the hustle and bustle of city life. And you go and you relax and you rest, and you come back again, and it all starts again. (laughs) That's life, isn't it? But you can't hide away forever, just retreat. What can the righteous do? A question that many of us perhaps have asked ourselves as we see the foundations of Christianity and its values and principles challenged and in some cases destroyed. What can the righteous do? It can be also translated this way. What did the righteous do? Or what has the righteous done while the foundations have been destroyed? Why did they allow this to happen? Or it could be translated as this. If the foundations have been destroyed now, then what can the righteous do? Whatever it might be, it might lead us to despair, to despondency, to discouragement. What can we do? We are a small group of people in a big world. Who even would want to listen to Christians today in this world? Who wants to listen to the Christian church in this world? What can the righteous do? See, the word righteous takes place uh, uh, four times in this In this psalm. And so to ask ourselves about the righteous, come to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, David says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. They are the righteous. See, the righteous one is this one. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. The righteous, here friends, the two groups of people. The wicked, those who do not trust and follow God. And we have the righteous who trust fully in God. Two groups of people, right? Is it the political, politically right thing to say? It's here. The righteous are those who have trusted in the Lord. And no wonder David says he has confessed their sins. The sins have been covered. And the Lord does not count them against him or her. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And David says in verse 11, rejoice and be glad. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you rejoicing? (laughs) Well, maybe you had a terrible week this past week. I don't know. But that's not what I'm speaking about this morning. I'm asking you are you rejoicing in the fact that your sins have been covered for, paid for, and you are now in a relationship with God by trusting Him? The psalmist says, rejoice. I trust that we are. Uh, John Piper says this about the righteous the righteous ones are the ones who trust in the Lord. The ones who have faith and beg their hope on the mercy and power and wisdom of God. These are the ones against whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose sins are forgiven. They are righteous not with the righteousness of their their own, but with the imputed righteousness of God. If you are a Christian here this morning... You are made right with God because of the righteousness of God imputed, of Christ imputed to you. It's not because of your own doing. We cannot make ourselves righteous. Is that clear? We can do righteous deeds, but we cannot make ourselves righteous. It is the work of God to bring about that righteousness in us. And I'll explain that in a minute. See, they are right with God. What are they to do? Look at what what David says in response. But what we have here is clear, isn't it, in this passage. David is saying, I will go to the Lord. Chapter, sorry, Psalm 11 verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. When the foundations are crumbling, when things are happening around me, and people are turning away from God, and our society is perhaps crumbling, he says... I will take refuge in the Lord. Why? Why? Notice what the psalmist says in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And notice this. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them what a beautiful and what a powerful picture here this morning just for a moment just for a moment try and picture it we are here on earth but God is on his throne wow do you see that amidst all the chaos that is happening in the world, and amidst the foundations being destroyed, there is one who is in his holy temple, one who is on his heavenly throne. What a comfort, what a joy, what a hope. Everything else may be crumbling around us, and perhaps even within ourselves. But be assured as David says here, the Lord is in his temple. And in the Old Testament, the visible presence of God was in the temple. David also says, the Lord is in heaven. The Lord is on his throne in heaven. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter uh, 7, we have these words for us in, in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. Uh, the, the, the vision that Daniel has of the four beasts. Okay? Uh, and he says this in, in this vision here, he says, as I looked... Thrones were set in place. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river, further it says, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were That's God. The Ancient of Days is seated and notice that his throne was flaming with fire. And that's what Daniel saw. This God, our God, he is reigning. This God, our God, he is in unquestionable control of the events in this world and its future. Do you believe that? Yes? Yes? Did you see that this morning? This God, our God, is enthroned. And the psalmist says here, the Lord, in, in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 11, the Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord is in His heavenly throne, and He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. You see, our God does not need an army to protect him. He does not need bodyguards going around to protect him. He does not need secret agents to be doing his work. Our God is untouchable. All powerful. You see, sometimes I wonder, friends, I really do at times wonder whether we have lost... I say this seriously, whether we have lost a sense of the majesty and the awe of our God. You see, it's a very fine line, isn't it? We say, oh, well, God is my father in Christ. Jesus is my savior. He is like my brother, my friend, my shepherd. The one I can call to at any time. And that's true. But he's also the Lord Almighty. Yeah? <laughs> have you lost the reverence for God? You know, I once went for a service some time, some time ago. And the service leader got up and said, Oh, we want to welcome you this morning. We're going to have fun here today. And he started by saying, Good morning, God. I hope you're well. I nearly, nearly fell off my chair. And then he went further. And said, oh, we welcome you this morning to join us in this service, Lord. Oh, no. It's like somebody saying to you, your house, your home, well, let me welcome you to your house. Come in. It's your home anyway, but but I'm doing the invite and you come here. How would you feel? How would you feel like if... For example, I go to Barry's house. I'm using Barry as an example, that's alright. And I say to, uh, to Barry, he's standing outside. Oh, Barry, welcome you. Welcome, come into your house. I'm welcoming you into my, into, into my place. It's actually your house. I, don't, I, don't, I think there might be a problem there. I hope not. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? God doesn't have to be welcomed into the gathering of his people. He is there. We are coming because of him. This is our God. You see, this is the majesty and the splendor of the awesomeness of God. Then I think about it, friends. It's beyond my comprehension. And each time I think about our graciousness of the majesty of God, it makes me fear—not not because of who this God is. I know He's my friend. He's my Father. But I know He's also the Almighty God that when He spoke, the mountains trembled. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, there was darkness. The power and the majesty of God displayed in, in his son Jesus. This is an awesome God. And the church, I trust that the leadership of this church or any church will never lose in sight of the majesty and the splendor of God. Because if you bring God down to our standards, we have lost it. Don't you think so? I read an article recently of somebody who died. Well known figure in Australia. And uh, someone asked him, well, tell me, what will you say to your maker when you see him? You know what the person said? I will treat him as my equal. <laughs> I will treat him as my equal. at wow. <laughs> this news for you, my friend. Can we ever treat God as our equal? Who do we think we are? Little frail, fragile human beings. Right? You see, the Lord is watching. Look at what the psalmist says. The Lord is watching as we work our way through this very quickly. The the, the Lord is watching. That's what he says here. Look look at the, the text before us. The Lord is in his holy temple, verse 4. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. So the Lord is watching. He doesn't need to have CCTV. This is the best CCTV ever. See everywhere you go today, most places, even houses, they've got these TVs, right the, the CCTVs, and you can watch from your iPhone wherever you are in the world what's going on on your property. Isn't that amazing? Eh? Security systems. God doesn't need that. His eyes sees everything. He hates the wicked. He's disgusted with wickedness. Look at what he says there in the text. He tests the righteous. You see, when the foundations are shaken and be destroyed, he wants his people to know that he is their God. That he is watching and judgment will come upon the world as it turns their backs on God. And what we see here, friends, is a challenging thing. It should move our hearts to pray for the ungodly because look at what happens here. The Lord examines the righteous. Verse six: On the wicked He will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur; a scorching wind will be their cup. That's that's what the uh, the ESV would translate it as. He will rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulphur. There is no escape. You see, fire and sulphur is language for judgment. There is no escape because the Lord loves justice. Don't you want justice? When you see the news and you see a a crime that has been committed, don't you cry for justice? (laughs) Yes, there is grace and all of that. But justice is so important. When a crime is committed, we look for justice. We look to the courts to judge, to hand out justice. This is why it is so important to always maintain an independent judiciary that is free from interference, political or any other. Make no mistake, friends, that no one will escape the justice of God because he is the God of justice. He loves justice. And what will happen to the wicked? I say this with With with, with fear and trembling. Because look at the verse here. On the wicked. On the ungodly. He will rain fiery coals of burning sulfur. Do you see that? Does it move you to pray? For your non-Christian friend? Your non-Christian family member? See, That's why we do gospel work here, don't we? How fantastic to have the NTE mission come here in a couple of weeks' time. Why, we do a men's ministry. I, I, will, I will miss that because I love food. I would love to have been there and tried whatever that was cooked. We do this, this mission work. We do this ministry work as a church. Christianity explored all of these courses, our children's ministries. Why? Because we want people to come to know Christ, right? Is that correct? Good. We need to be a missional church as well. You see, a church that looks outside of this place. The fire and sulfur. You see, then the Lord, look at Genesis chapter 19. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur and Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a cup that awaits the ungodly. Just quickly, Psalm 75. Look at those verses there. 2 to 5. Psalm Again, 75 verse 8. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its dregs. It's an horrible place to be. The future of the wicked, the ungodly, fire and sulfur, all evil will be completely burned up on the day. And The eyes of the Lord are upon everyone and nothing goes unnoticed upon the ungodly And upon the righteous. But the psalmist, friends, comes out with another note here. Look at look at verse seven, the last verse here. For the Lord is righteous; He loves justice. And then, anyone have you got verse seven? Your call now. For the Lord is righteous; He loves justice, and the what is it? The upright will what? See is face. Did you see that? The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Therefore he will execute perfect justice. He must act consistent. You see people have asked this question. How come a, a, a God who says he loves people would want people to suffer and to have fire and sulfur over them? How could God do that? How could a loving God ever do that? Well the answer is here. Because he loves justice and he cannot turn away from sin. The upright will see his face. Friends, for us today living this side of the psalm, we know that God sent his sinless and perfect Son into a world of injustice. And there on the cross, Jesus stood in your place and mine, so that we don't have to face the wrath of God. In Jesus Christ, both God's love and His justice was perfectly met in Him. And He has earned righteousness for us by living a perfect life and dying a perfect death and rising from the dead. And all who repent and put their, their trust, repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone, are made righteous through faith in Christ alone. It's a fantastic passage here. We have no time to to expand on this. Second Corinthians five uh, twenty one. Uh, Theologians always uh, kind of call this the double imputation text. Right? It's a double imputation text. Uh, quickly say that is my sin is put to Christ, His righteousness is credited to me. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Try and work that one out. (laughs) How good is that? Wow, that is grace. You see, we cannot make ourselves righteous before God. Only Christ can. And the Bible tells us this Jesus who rose from the dead and went to heaven is coming again. The king who came to give his life for us is coming again. And we will all stand before him on that day of judgment. And I believe this is what we see here. That David is also looking ahead. To one day. For we read in one John the passage. That we read this morning. The first reading. Dear friends now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know. What is it? That when Christ appears. We shall be like him. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. For we shall see him as he is all face to face. Wow. (laughs) And David, David in Psalm 11, somehow brings that out. In Psalm 11, it could be God's favor upon his people, God's face shining upon his people. But I think there is also a prophetic aspect to it. And that is one day in Jesus, we will stand before this one. And we will see his face. What a day that will be, right? To stand before the Lord and to see him face to face. Looking forward to that one day? We shall see him. This is for all Christians. So friends, as I conclude, in the face of human sin, in the face of overwhelming evil and suffering, When the foundations are being destroyed, when Christians are being challenged, mocked, persecuted, and sometimes the bows and the arrows are pointed towards them and even killed, the righteous are able to walk through this life in all the challenging times. When the foundations are collapsing, because we walk not by sight, but by We don't retreat. We live our lives for Christ as light and salt in this world. We live as ambassadors for Christ in this world. Standing up for Jesus. Showing his love and grace in a fallen, broken world. We do so with confidence knowing that the Lord is enthroned and that he is watching everyone. And so this morning, where do you stand with the Lord today? That's a question to you as well as to me. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, how will you face that day of judgment? And the sulfur and the fire of God's wrath is poured out. Nothing will save you, nothing will save me. Only Christ will. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you serve him? Amen. Father, we...